Hello, and welcome to Cherry Beckert's podcast for real estate and construction, where we discuss developing trends and market dynamics, as well as tax and accounting tips that could impact your business. Today, we are discussing the third part of our Opportunity Zone Fund series and diving into the requirements to establish and operate a qualified Opportunity Zone business, a QOZB. My name is Daniel Metzl. I'm a tax accountant with Cherry Beckert. I've been here for oh, 25 years, give or take 15, and I'm honored to be joined by the great uh, Greg Davis. Greg, please uh, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm, I'm Greg Davis. I'm a tax partner with Cherry Beckert in Virginia Beach. Work predominantly in the real estate and construction industry and have so for about the last 15 years. Uh, very excited to be here today, Daniel. Do you want to kick us off with a high level discussion of the law and the intent from Congress on this? Sure. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, so these Opportunity Zone, zone regs are, are very new, came out in 2017. And so there's still a lot of un unanswered questions, but the regulators have said many times that they are, are they really want us to adhere to the spirit of the law. Um, and if we do so, we will, we will probably be, be okay. Um, so I believe that the spirit of this law was, and what the, you know, really what the behaviors they were trying to encourage were having taxpayers trigger gains or take those gains that they've already triggered and invest them into these low income census tracts, these opportunity zones. Um, I guess the, is, is the thought there that people will invest in these longer term and thus keep the, the funds in that area for a sustainable amount of time? For sure. So they did not, the regulators did not want you to develop, develop real estate in the OZ, sell it and be out. They wanted you to, you know, put get your gains into these zones and stay there, leave them there for 10 years. So the real incentive of these zones um, does not happen until you've been in that zone for 10 years. So they want, they wanted taxpayers to take gains move gains maybe from outside the zone, move them into these zones, these certain areas, um, and leave that money there for 10 years. So the idea is really to get people to be able to move in, live in, and work within the community. Correct. Yes, they are. They want these zones to, they want taxpayers to be incentivized to move, to move money into these zones and leave them there. Thus, hopefully, driving economic activity and improving um, the standard of living for everyone living in those zones. So, Greg, now that we know the uh, intent of the law, maybe talk about what a QOZB is and how does it fit into the OZ world? So there's there's two structures laid out within the regulations. Uh, that we're allowed to follow while taking advantage of the opportunity zones. There's the Qualified Opportunity Fund, which every investor will be a part of, effectively some form of qual Qualified Opportunity Fund. The single tier structure can uh, invest directly into Qualified Opportunity Zone business, and that would just be a single tier structure subjected to one, one set of testing. This, the two-tier structure is what we're really here to talk about today. It's where the Qualified Opportunity Fund then invests into another entity 
that is a qualified opportunity zone business. Usually these are going to be operational businesses that can be a platitude of different things, you know, real estate, service, almost anything you can think of, but subjected to a different type of testing than the single tier. Daniel, do you want to run us through the pros and cons of the single tier and the two tier? Sure. Thanks, Greg. Um, so I agree. Most of these are going to be a two tier structure using a QOF and a QOZB. But I think there will be certain situations where a one tier um, could work. Um, so if you are only using the, the QOF to uh, own your business, to run the business and, and own the property, then you have that QOF have, has to have 90% of its assets, all of its assets, you know, including all of its assets in QOZVP. So in Qualified Opportunity Zone Business Property, that is a high bar. Um, so, you know, if, if you've got a lot of AR, if you've got a lot of intangible assets, um, those are not qualified opportunity zone business property. So this this could work for real estate because all of your because your intangible property could, um, you know, could be 90 percent of the assets of the qual. So um, you have a high bar with that 90 percent test, but that's really the only test you have to meet. Um, so in a two-tier structure, you still have the 90% test, but 100% of your investment in the QOZB, the second tier, will count as, as qualified opportunity zone business property. So um, as long as your QOZB qualifies, then that 90% test for the QOF should uh, be no problem. All right, so how do we get that QOZB to be a qualified opportunity zone business? Well, 70% of its tangible assets must be qualified opportunity zone business property. So you have a much lower bar and it's only testing the tangible assets. Um, so you can exclude a lot of, you can exclude your AR, your capitalized financing costs, um, you know, other non-tangible assets in the testing. So you've got a lower bar there and you're only counting your tangible assets. But there is another test, the 50% production of business income test that you also have to meet. And we'll talk about that test later. So with the two tier, it's a lower bar on your assets that must be qualified opportunities on business property, but you have additional testing. Um, Personally, most of the ones that I've seen are the two tier, um, but I think the one tier structure could work too. So Greg, now we know the pros and cons of each structure. Can you tell us how to establish a QOZB? Yeah, so a QOZB can be uh, almost any type of entity, it can be a partnership, a C Corp or an S Corp, and ultimately subjected to the same rules that any other uh, any other type of entity would be subjected to. You know, if it was not a QOZB, it's still subjected to the same S Corp rules of only allowing specific types of investors. But with that being said, those partnerships, S Corps and C Corps are are essentially identical, whether a QOZB or a regular operational business. The one major distinction is in the organizational documents. Uh, it has to specifically state within those documents that the intent and the reason that it 
is to be a qualified opportunity zone business. So that's going to be in your operating agreement, your articles of incorporation. Those are the main drivers. Um, if you're considering bringing in other investors or having investors, you may want some specific language within those organizational documents for protection purposes as well. And I would, I would suggest that that specifically state that management must try, do its very best to comply with all of those testing restrictions. Otherwise, there's, there's going to be penalties assessed to the business for not meeting the rules in regards to the Qualified Opportunity Zone business. So as a pivot on that, I think we should probably see, uh, talk about what operating QOZBs look like. And let's let's kick it off with a, a really simple example. Sure. Thanks, Greg. A simple example and probably the simplest one and the one we'll see the most of or what QOFs will be used the most for would be buying uh, buying and redeveloping a piece of a real estate in an opportunity zone. Um, so, first we would establish the, the Opportunity Zone Fund, as you said, um, and investors would take their gains and invest those gains into the Qualified Opportunity Fund. Using the two-tier two -tier structure, that QAF would then take the cash and invest into a QOZB, and the QOZB would then purchase the real estate. Okay, and for that real estate to be Qualified Opportunity Zone business property you know that we need it to be to meet the 70 percent test um, it e needs to either be brand new never been placed in service so you've got to buy it from someone who's never run it which, which may be tough to find or you have to substantially improve it um, substantial improvement means that you need to spend at least as much on the building that you paid for that building so if you bought the building for a hundred thousand you need to put another hundred thousand in it and you need to have a written plan for how you're going to substantially improve that within 31 months. Okay, and if you do that, the entire property will be qualified opportunity zone business property. You'll have no problem meeting the 70% property test and the 50% gross income test. Uh, and so Daniel, if, if I was to do a restaurant, let's say, and not own the real estate, and, and it would be in my QOZB, that's probably substantially easier from a, a testing and qualification aspect because all my tangible property would be in that location, all the kitchen equipment, so on and so forth. And then all my employees would also be operating within that zone. So I'd very easily be able to eat, uh, meet that 50% gross income test. I agree. Yeah, a restaurant work would work well for a qualified opportunity fund. Um, you should, you're right, you should have no problem meeting that test. Um, but other businesses that may seem simple, you may may not be quite as quite as uh, easy to meet the test and you may need to certain things. Um, you know, possibly, you know, a service-based business, especially these days when you have people working from home. You know, if, you know, if that's where you want to make sure that you are keeping track of where people are working and where your income of that business is being generated. So, you know, starting a new business in an opportunity zone, um, you know, would work much, would work very similar to that real estate example where you have investors going into the QAF and the QAF investing into a new a QOZB and that QOZB then um, 
you know, starts the business, buys the property, hires the employees, and runs the business from that location in the opportunity zone. Where we've got to be careful is if you have people out working outside the zone or if you have property outside the zone. That's where things get complicated really quickly. And I think that's where, so the, uh, the test for that 50% gross receipts, as long as I have 50% of the total compensation or 50% of the total hours worked within the zone, then that's two of the safe harbors to meet that test. That's correct. That's correct. Generally, um, that 50% uh, gross income test, um, yes, is measured on the um, by the employees, compensation or hours. So, Greg, what about, um, you know, I, I get this question a lot, but what about an existing business, either one not in an OZ or um, one that's in an OZ? I've, I've got clients that have those. Is there any opportunity for them to benefit from these OZ regs? So I'll say yes, but unfortunately, this is the one of the most loaded questions within the opportunity zone. Uh, it gets very complex very quickly, and it's it's all very much facts and circumstances driven. And you really need to look at your facts, what your intent is, how much property you have, and then ultimately what you want your end structure to look like to be able to piece together whether or not you can actually take advantage of the opportunity zone. Um, so I'll say this for not only existing businesses, but also for any investor and business operators, we would highly suggest you include a qualified CPA and attorney who know the rules for the qualified opportunity funds and the qualified opportunity zone businesses in your conversation, if you're going to consider taking advantage of any of these structures. I agree that 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 is a that's a tough one, tough one to get work, but to, to get to work, but maybe possible. So with that, we'll conclude podcast number three in Cherry Beckard's six-part podcast series on Opportunity Zones. This is Daniel Metzel and Greg Davis thanking you for your time.